I want to pray that um, we will pay attention to your word, that you will open it up to our hearts, that our minds will be available to, uh, to you so that you can speak to us. And I pray that we learn what we hear so well that we'll be able to, um, to pass it along so that you can speak through us as well as to us. Uh, we're living in a world where this is very, very appropriate and applicable, and uh, we need to watch ourselves, watch who we listen to and what we listen to. And uh, so I just pray that uh, we will pay attention to you and allow you to change us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, so this lesson is largely about false prophets and false teachers. I had a brief uh, address on this a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning, um, but this will be a little bit more in depth. There were some things that I could have addressed on that Sunday morning that I didn't. I didn't, uh, I didn't focus on specific things, but I want to uh, maybe do that this evening. So uh, if you have your own copy of Scripture, you can follow along with me. This is 2 Peter chapter 1 in the English Standard Version. Scripture says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds, and he saw, excuse me, over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice sensual passions of the flesh. 
uh, and enticed by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, af for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. The sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. So apparently, he's talking about some false teachers who had been exposed to the gospel and perhaps at one time uh, were serving the Lord, perhaps were even legitimate teachers in the church. But they began to be led astray and then they started leading people astray. And that often happens when people get a particular idea in their head and they follow it, they suddenly become the proponent of that idea. They become the, the preacher of that new gospel, if you will. Let's look at this first verse. False prophets also arose among them, excuse me, among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. So there have always been false teachers and false teaching. And although it might sound a little different at different times, it pretty typically follows the same lines. Um, Jesus prophesied that false prophets would come in his uh, discourse on the end times in Matthew 24. Verse 11 of Matthew 24, Jesus said, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. That's what's distressing to me. I'm not on Facebook so much anymore. Um, it's just become counterproductive in many respects. So I'll get on there and post a scripture and flip uh, you know, a few levels up the timeline to see what if, you know, several people are saying and then kind of move on from there because it became evident some time ago that uh, people don't want to be bothered with anything that they don't already believe and agree with. So discussion and debate could be a healthy way to either strengthen you in the truth or to cause you to take a look at why you believe what you believe. But these days, uh, people just get upset if they don't hear what they want to hear. And uh, debate is sort of fallen by the wayside. In its place, we find ad hominem arguments, uh, which essentially means that they just attack the person. They just attack their personality. And we see this from the top to the bottom in politics. Both sides do the same thing. Um, the president has pet names for everybody and calls them names and of course you know they've been working hard since the beginning to try to get rid of him and call him you know uh, mentally unstable and all these other sorts of things but we're not really looking at policy uh, we're not really looking at what's helpful we're not really looking at whether or not what somebody is saying is legitimate or true we're just looking at the 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 source we're just looking at the personality and if we don't like that person for whatever reason then we're not going to listen to what they say but what you and I need to understand, Balaam is mentioned in this text, uh, and it says that he was, uh, he was rebuked by his own donkey. <laughs> God can speak through a jackass, so he can speak through anybody. We need to pay attention to, to what we're hearing, and we need to evaluate what we're hearing, and not evaluate it by how somebody is dressed or how they're coming across to us or what part of town they come from and so forth. 
So last week we mentioned the example of the false prophet Hananiah uh, in, from Jeremiah, um, specifically chapter 28. And if you remember what that false prophet's end was, within a year he died. So he was trying to give them positive ideas, you know, uh, prophesy you know, s smooth things, all right? Uh, people like to hear something that makes them feel good rather than really looking at what's going on in the world around them. Now, I think that in our world, uh, preaching the gospel, which is the most positive message you can give, is what is absolutely needed today. People are inundated with the negative, right? But that doesn't mean that we don't need to speak the truth when that truth is rebuke and when it may be perceived as being negative. And certainly the message that I preached Sunday could have been perceived that way. But uh, we need to be aware of what's going on. Well, we need to pay attention and we need to act accordingly. So uh, in Jeremiah 28, Hananiah had said, oh no, you know, everything that's been taken from the temple by the Babylonians and, and the captives that have been taken, that, that's all going to come back in two years. And if you remember, Jeremiah was symbolically wearing a yoke, right? This is something that would have been over the neck of an ox when an ox is pulling a, uh, um, a plow, and it's symbolic of, of being enslaved to something, right? Being under the authority or the rule of someone else. And Jeremiah said, this is, this is what's going to happen. The Babylonians are going to be over you. And he was wearing this, this yoke. And so Hananiah was just, you know, he was, he was giddy. He was glib. He was enthusiastic about his message. And he took that yoke off of Jeremiah and broke it. And Jeremiah said, okay, well, I hope you're right. But he waited for the word of the Lord. And it was confirmed. They're not coming back for, in two years. They're not going to come back for 70 years. And he said, Hananiah, in fact, you're a false prophet. And in a year, you're going to die. See, I just wouldn't want to be that. And, um, you know, I think I mentioned this when I talked about false prophets on a couple Sundays ago. But you see a lot of this on Christian television. Um, I don't really watch Christian TV much anymore. There's a couple of different stations. There's the Daystar one, and then there's TBN. But they have these they have these these guys on there that just you know and ladies that want to tell you what you want to hear, right? Now I'm not saying it's see this isn't about positive or negative. It's about the truth. The prophets spoke positive messages as well. What we need to know is the truth. The reality is, short of repentance, we don't receive the promises. Repentance means we need to change our thinking, we need to change our ways, not point our finger at other people and say, well, you need to change, and you need to stop that. And that's what everybody does. It's the blame game. But, you know, if you're in a self-help group, as one of, one of our uh, folks here was mentioning uh, NA and AA earlier, you know, Narcotics Anonymous, uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, they're going to tell you the only person you can change is you. You can't change somebody else. Right. And what I like to say is, you know, you're not anybody's judge. You're not even on the jury. So what did Jesus say? Jesus did say, judge not and you will not be judged for in the measure you 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 measure out, it will be measured back to you. But then he said, basically, he changed metaphors. He said, instead of seeing yourself as a judge, you need to see yourself like a doctor. He said, um, if you have a splinter in your eye, you can't point out the beam, the log that's in somebody else's eye. But he didn't stop there. He didn't just say, now take the splinter out of your eye and go your way. That's not what he said. 
Jesus said, take the beam out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. He didn't say don't help your brother. But see, that's the key. Are you there to help that person? Are you there to love that person? Do you want to correct that person so that they'll live a better life? Or are you just there to judge them so you can feel better about yourself? Okay. Well, there's another example of a false prophet. Um, there's more examples than this, but there's another one I'm going to refer to here um, <clears throat> in the Old Testament. Um, there were a horde of 400 false prophets, which with uh, the king of the northern tribes of Israel, Ahab, although his name isn't mentioned, that's who it is, uh, surrounded himself in 1 Kings 22. Apparently, in all of, of the northern ten tribes, in all of Israel, that's what they called the northern ten. They called them Israel. The southern tribes they called by the main tribe there, which was Judah, but that would have been Judah and Benjamin. But in all of Israel, there was only one prophet of Yahweh, one prophet of the real God, and he was the only one with the courage to tell the truth. His name was Micaiah ben Imla, Micaiah the son of Imla. All the other prophetic yes-men just told the ruler what he wanted to hear. 1 Kings 22.8 says, There is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord. This is the king speaking, by the way. But I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. That just sounds like something our president would say. I mean, I don't want to be mean. I'm going to vote for the guy, but still, that's something he would say. They're always saying mean things about me. I don't want to listen to them, right? The question put before the prophets was whether Israel would defeat Aram in a battle to retake the town of Ramoth-Gilead. There were 400 false prophets, and they were all dancing around and making a big ruckus, and they were saying, you know, go for it. You're going to defeat them, right? And there was one false prophet that took some horns, and you're going to gore the Aramites like this, and you know, this is what they did. Uh, when it said they prophesied, they didn't just speak. They apparently did things physically, ecstatic movement and so forth that would probably make us uncomfortable unless you're from a Pentecostal church. Um, Micaiah, though, initially agreed with them, but it turned out that this was a lesson from the Lord uh, that he wanted to teach Ahab and us. So here's the story from 1 Kings 22, 16 through 23. The king said to him, that is the, the king said to Micaiah, son of Imlah, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Now this is the king of the southern tribes. This is Jehoshaphat is the king in Judah. Ahab is the king in Israel, the northern tribes. They are allied against this other nation, Aram, the Arameans, right? And they're going to fight them. They're asking the prophets to get you know, the divine will on this. The false prophets are saying, yes, go, you, you're going to defeat them. And here we got this one prophet of Yahweh. Micaiah continued, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the host of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and being a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. 
Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. <coughs> um, so when he told the truth, the truth was something that this king didn't want to hear. And uh, the king said, no, I want you to tell me the truth. But when he told him the truth, he didn't want to hear it. David observed something important concerning human perception of the Lord and his voice. And this will tell you why the Lord sent lying spirits in the mouth of prophets. That just doesn't sound like God, right? That God would send a lying spirit. Now, it doesn't say that God lied. But see, sometimes you get what you want to get. You see what you want to see. Listen to what David said in Psalm 18, 25 through 26. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. I love it. I love it, man. If you're a liar, the Lord may just send you a liar to speak to you because you're not willing to listen to the truth. It's kind of like wearing glasses with a bad prescription, right? So um, I try to make an appointment with my eye doctor, and uh, apparently he's really popular now, and I can't get in to see him because my glasses are starting to get fuzzy or whatever. But what if I just had just the complete wrong prescription altogether? Well, I'm, I'm never going to see right. My vision is just completely messed up, Okay. And so everything is going to be uh, blurry, so to speak. So you have a certain God concept. You have a certain perception of the Lord. You may think of the Lord as being just, you know, distant. He's kind of an old grandpa up there. You know, he wouldn't bother anybody. He wouldn't hurt a fly. He's just sitting up there in his rocking chair just watching everybody or whatever. That's not God. You might see God as kind of like uh, the Greek idea of Zeus with the lightning bolt ready to drill you in the back anytime you do anything bad. You know, he's the, the cosmic cop. Um, you might see God as, uh, as a good father and a loving father, and that would be an accurate way of seeing God. But if you don't have a healthy experience with your own father, seeing God as father might be something that's difficult for you to understand but we're going to perceive God through that lens, if you will. And so it's really, really important for us to listen to the Word of God and have our mind changed rather than approaching God with our own preconceived ideas. See, this king didn't want to know God's will. He just wanted to be approved. Now, again, this is something we need to be careful of with our politicians. Um, this is something, in my opinion, we need to be careful of with our present president. If, if people like this guy... He's on their side. And if they don't, then, you know, he's all over them. But it's not about whether you like me or whether you don't like me. It's about I need advisors, not that are going to tell me what I want to hear. I need advisors that are going to give me the truth. And I don't think we're always getting that, even at the highest levels, even from the WHO and the CDC. I just really don't think we're getting that. You know, apparently, there are two drug companies within a couple of days that have stopped their... Uh, their development of one of them, a, a drug that would treat COVID-19 and uh, another one, a, a viral. And, you know, the question is, well, why? Why 20 days before the election are you suddenly just stopping this with these sort of, you know, well, you know, one person got sick in the trial. Th those trials consist of thousands of people. 
well, you know, we're not real sure. And it just, there's just a lot of collusion. We're not getting the truth. And what we want is we want advisors that are going to give us the truth, whether they like our politics or not, right? So I'm being honest with you about my assessment uh, of the president, but I'm also going to tell you that I, I'm going to vote for him, right? That doesn't mean I like him. That doesn't mean I always trust him, but I'm voting for a policy, not a person. But as for you and I, we're not presidents or anything like that. But, you know, we need advice. Uh, we need to, to hear from people that are going to give us wisdom. The scripture says uh, the person uh, who despises discipline despises himself. But he who heeds correction gains understanding. Wow. So somebody may correct me. They may seek to say, hey, pastor, this is something, you know, that I think you should look at. Now, if I perceive that you're just in it to try to one-up me and, and uh, you know, try to make some points, you know, because you're standing there with a group of people or you've got a political position or something like that, then I'm less likely to, uh, to listen to your advice objectively because I think that you are attacking me subjectively. But if I think, you know, you're just trying to help me, then I'm going to listen to you. I may not initially agree with you. I may not agree with you after I listen to you for a while. But I'm going to listen because all of us need advice, even if we're hearing something that we don't want to hear. And a lot of times uh, advice may come at us from folks that have been through some things that we're going through. And they're going to say, hey, I think, you know, if you were wise, you would make some different choices here. Well, I'm not going to do that. Then I'm really not listening to wisdom. I'm not taking uh, advice. But all in all, let's get back to the scripture here. What you've got in this example of false prophets who are just telling the kings what they want to hear. Well, um, get back to my notes here. We should realize that the Lord shows himself to people in accordance with their character and the resultant image they possess of God. Only those who are righteous and true see him rightly. Listen to that again. Only those who are righteous and true see God right. So in a very real sense, your own character determines how you see God. The king had no regard for the truth, nor for what is right, nor for the Lord. His interpretation of, of good was what was for his own personal gain, rather than what was from God, who defines good. As it was proven, the king was unwilling to listen to the word of the Lord. The Lord's intent was to bring him down, so God let him hear what he wanted to hear. As proof of this, when called upon to speak the truth, Micaiah did so and was rebuked by the king. Listen to the, um, the next part of the story. 1 Kings 22, 26 through 28. The king of Israel then ordered, take Micaiah and send him back, uh, back to Ammon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah declared, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. And then as they took him off, he added, mark my words, all you people. Well, we're marking his words in the word of God right here because the king died that day. Like they went out in battle and a random arrow flew through the sky and hit between the slats of the king's armor as he was riding in his chariot. And he said, take me out of battle. And he bled to death and the dogs licked up his blood. Listen, man, it doesn't matter how many false prophets you get to sing your song and tell you how wonderful you are and tell you that you're, you know, whatever it is you're doing is right. In the end, it's the Lord's word that is going to prevail. So heed the warning from these Old Testament examples of false prophets. Hananiah's prophecy proved false, and he died the same year he made it. 
Ahab's prophets encouraged him to enter into the battle, and that took his life. Since Ahab refused to listen to the Lord, the Lord led him into judgment by the lies that he wanted to hear. So as was the case in the Old Testament, and in Peter's day, by the verse we just looked at, we find false prophets in the church today. It is not that the Holy Spirit has ceased to move or to speak, but there are many false teachers and false prophets who are in ministry for money, fame, and power. There are also false teachers who pervert the word of God to align with current cultural values and or a particular political party or candidate or platform. You gotta be careful. They'll lead you astray. So you've gotta beware. Their end is, as this verse says, swift destruction. And an early death may be yours if you follow their lies. All that glitters is not gold. I can no longer tell you that every Christian church, even around here in downtown Garland, is preaching the truth. You need to stick close to the word of God. Just because a church has a nice building and a nice sounding minister and some ministries that help you in certain ways doesn't mean that they're going to tell you the truth. They're going to tell you what they want to tell you. But what you need to do is hang on to that scripture. And you need to keep looking at that. And you need to compare that to what these folks are teaching. And if they've got to take another book over here, so if it's the Mormons, it's the Book of Mormon. Yeah, well, the Bible's not complete. We've got to have this other book. But see, there are plenty of Christian churches. Mormons call themselves Christians. They're not. But there are plenty of Christian churches that will say, yes, well, but that's not what it means. I know that's what it says, but that's not what it means. Really? It doesn't mean what it says? Because it's fairly obvious what it says here. Now, there are passages that are more obscure and difficult to understand, but a, uh, a healthy way to approach interpreting Scripture is focus on the passages that you do understand and let the clear passages interpret the obscure ones. And if it's a passage that's hard to understand, if it's obscure, if you know, that's not what you want to build your ideas on, your theology on, right? And there is a, a way of, of following Jesus that has been passed down since those early apostles. And yet, we find churches in the 21st century changing that. You better beware. Run out that back door. You don't need to be listening to any of that. Um, it says that there are those in Peter's day that were even denying the master who bought them. So that's Jesus who died on the cross for them bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So there are lying spirits, fallen angels, who seek your attention and worship, like their master Satan. They will pull your attention toward them and away from Jesus Christ, who is the only begotten Son. So I remember when I was uh, studying for this in 2010. In fact, I saw the, the, uh, the timestamp on the original document. It was April of 2010 when I last addressed this. Um, there were some folks that had some peripheral affiliation with our church that were involved with this group called Bethel Music, right? Now, some of their songs sound great and so forth, but they've got some strange teaching, okay? Gold dust in the air and angels speaking to people. And listen, man, this is, this is bizarre heresy. So, a lot of churches that get a big following have great music. So right up the road here, there's a United Pentecostal Church. Now, I'm not speaking ill about any people that may attend there, but I'm just going to outright tell you, United Pentecostalism is a heresy. What a heresy means is that they do not follow Orthodox Christianity. They call themselves the Jesus-only movement, right? 
Now, this is an ancient heresy called monarchian modalism. What they say is there's no trinity. God is not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's just Jesus. Essentially, monarchian modalism said, well, God was Father over here in the Old Testament, okay? And then God was Spirit, and then God is Jesus. And it just depends on how they spin this, but it's just, right, there's one God and three persons, but they're like, no, God is in these different modes, well, there's some huge, huge problems with this, and I'm not going to get into that here, but I'm just going to tell you that that is what they teach, and you stay away from that. But from what, I'm, from what I've heard from people who have gone to this church, that they have really, really nice music. Now, the way I found out it was a United Pentecostal church was from Matt Butler. Remember Matt? They got murdered up the street here. Okay, so our church used to be called Zion, and I love that name. Um, it's a great Old Testament name, and I had a really good reason uh, for calling our church that. I wanted people to, to look at that Old Testament and see themselves as part of the family of God and the people of God, uh, grafted into the olive tree uh, by the Lord Jesus. But we changed the name in 2013 because there were people that were getting that name confused, largely because that name is misused in lots of different circles. But I say that because that name is used in a lot of different religious circles, okay? So right up the, the street here, literally a block from where we are sitting right now, there was a recording studio. It was called Zion Gate Records. And the fellow that was ahead of that was named Matt Butler. And uh, he, uh, I don't know how I first, I think I first encountered him because he saw our church was called Zion. And he was like, hey man, that's kind of cool. And So I went over there and recorded a, a thing with him for Christmas one year. It was like a, just a, a, a vocal that I recorded and we put it on CD and so forth at that point in time. But he came to our church once or twice. Um, but he told me that his wife went to this United Pentecostal church. It's right up here off a of Beltline. And I wasn't even aware at that point in time. I mean, I have a degree in religion. I wasn't even aware uh, that United Pentecostalism was, you know, Jesus only, this monarchian modalist. Well, I've since gone back and looked, and this started at the, at the beginning of the Pentecostal movement. There was a group that right at the beginning started saying, no, there's no Trinity. It's Jesus only, right? Well, that is the reason that Assemblies of God exists because they broke off from this, this heresy and they said, no, 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 we believe in the Trinity, okay? So in any event, I don't know if you're interested in those sorts of things, but this just shows you that these sorts of heresies, monarchian modalism is an ancient heresy. It goes back all the way to the beginning of Christianity, all right? So Satan really doesn't change tactics. He just changes clothes. And people are like, oh, well, that's cool. You know, Satan's dressed in some cool clothes now. They got some great music, Bethel music, you know, and gold dust and angels flying. And, you know, the folks that I knew that were uh, a part of our church at the time were good folks, and I still know one of them. In fact, I talked to his mom this morning. Um, Great kid, but people get caught up in strange ideas. Now, I don't know if he's still pursuing that, but people just listen to false teaching. They get caught up in strange ideas, right? Um, so uh, there are fallen angels, and they do seek worship. Um, listen to the scripture in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is, that is the son, is the radiance of God's glory 
and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he said, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. So angels are servants. They are not to be served. In Revelation, on two occasions, John was tempted to fall down at the feet of the angel that was revealing this message to him. And the angel immediately said, no, do not do that. A genuine angel of God is not going to be receptive of any worship at all, any adulation, any adoration, because they're going to point to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So it should be noted that Peter is actually addressing false teachers, which may infer the misrepresentation or misinterpretation of the witness of true and authoritative prophets and apostles. Misrepresenting the truth is no different than telling an outright lie. What do I mean by that? Well, you tell an outright lie, you know, Satan is God. No, he's not. Okay, that's an outright lie. But misrepresenting the truth is taking Jesus' name and saying, yeah, but Jesus never really said that or did this, or uh, it's the, the Mormon lie. You know, yes, we, we agree that Jesus came and he, you know, he died on the cross and he rose from the grave, but then he came to North America and he headed up this entire uh, army of uh, individuals over here. And then you're like, what? That's misrepresenting Jesus. That's taking Jesus and, and making him something that he is not. Satan and his servants are speakers of half-truths. By introducing some truth into their lies, they make them seem authentic. What begins as a means to enhance your experience with Christ, and this is what I mean by the gold dust and the angels and good music and so forth, if not centered on Christ, will eventually lead you away from him. Ministries that emphasize gifts of the Spirit, miracles, healing, spiritual warfare, worship, personal spiritual experiences, or even the Bible itself can get off track when their emphasis distracts from and then detracts and ultimately denies the person of Jesus Christ. Listen, there are ministries that focus on the Bible and they uphold the Bible and they say the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, but it becomes bibliolatry. It's like now we're focusing on the finger and not where the finger is pointing, right? So you see my finger and I pull back the curtain and I point at the cross back there. Now, see, you're all doing what you should do. You're looking at the cross, aren't you? You're seeing what I'm pointing to. Wouldn't it be dumb if you just looked at my finger? But that's what people do, right? Here's the word of God. This is, this is God's message, but it's revealing God to us. It's revealing Jesus to us. We worship Jesus. We don't worship the Bible. As important as the Bible is. And we, we're not going to know who Jesus is apart from the word of God, but I don't worship the Bible. I worship the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's important. So notice, most heretics start out as orthodox believers, but then they begin to believe their own interpretation of Christ or the scriptures over the, quote, faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's what Jude said in Jude 1.3. The words spoken beforehand through the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So remember what we've already learned in this letter. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Uh, and so you see these false teachers, these cults, um, they may start off as authentic orthodox denominations and then they take that turn and they move further and further away. So um, in the late 70s, there was a fellow named Jim Jones who headed up a group called the People's Temple. And you'll, you'll want to hear this. They helped a lot of homeless people. That was one of their big things. And they would take in a lot of homeless people, let them live with them, provided them food, clothing, whatever. Jim Jones got to the point where he actually threw the Bible on the ground and said, that's not the word of God, but I'm telling you is the word of God. Well, he took 900 people with him down to uh, a place in Guyana that he dubbed Jonestown, and they made their own commune down there. Long story short, when a congressman went down there to investigate, Jim Jones convinced many of those 900 people and forced and coerced the rest of them to drink Kool-Aid laced with poison, and they all died. It's a horrible picture. I remember it. It was right after I got saved. It was 1978. I'd been a believer for just a few months. And there, there are bodies. There are children. They're laying all over the place out there. And these started out as people that were just on the street, and he was helping. And they just believed him, and they listened to him, and they followed him, right? Dangerous. You be careful who you listen to and what you listen to. Um, verse 2. Many will follow their sensuality, that is the sensuality of these false teachers, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. So it's interesting, um, these false teachers might have had something to do with Gnosticism. So this was the, the belief that there was a secret knowledge that you needed to obtain in order to be saved. I won't go into the long story about Gnosticism, but it was, it was a, affiliated with a particular philosophy. Uh, called Neoplatonism. Long story short, they believed that the physical body was bad, that matter is evil, that the only thing that is worthy of uh, consideration is mind. Okay? So there were two takes on that. If your body is, is evil, how do you deal with your body? Well, you can either treat it roughly, right? You can... You can whip it and refuse to take care of it, or you can just let it run wild and just say, you know, whatever my body wants, my body wants, it doesn't matter. It's going to die anyway. So if I want to drink, drink. If I want to go out here and smoke, smoke. If I want to go out here and have sex, have sex. And it just doesn't matter. Either way, it was unbalanced because God is the creator of material. Material is not evil unless you worship material. The problem is when you become a materialist or a naturalist and you deny the existence of God and say that material is all there is. No, God is the creator. That's one of his fundamental jobs, if you will. He's the creator. You wouldn't exist if it weren't for God creating you. Your body wouldn't exist. Your body's not evil, but you can direct it in evil ways. You can misuse it. You can abuse it, right? But the body itself is not evil. So these folks might have been uh, along this Gnostic line, but they were apparently promoting sensuality. Sensuality here could be referring to some type of licentious behavior supported by the heresy Peter is addressing. Um, I mentioned Gnostics here. 
Today, the gospel is being misrepresented by purported Christian purveyors of the LGBT agenda. Churches and entire denominations have turned away from orthodox biblical morality to support the LGBT position and lifestyle. Books have been written by teachers who seek to use the Bible to gain support. Um, I wouldn't recommend them. I have copies of both of these, and I've tried to read through both of them, and uh, they're just making the Bible dance on the, on the shelf. Uh, one is called God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines. Another one is called Changing Our Mind, and this is a group of, of people headed by this fellow named David Gushy, and uh, they were apparently ethicists, and they said, oh, we've changed our minds. There's a balanced biblical treatment that comes uh, of the topic that comes from uh, a minister named Preston Sprinkle, and it is titled People to be Loved. That is a book I can recommend. But what is at issue here is not uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. What is at issue here is sensuality. The Greek word translated as sensuality in verse 2 is, is aselgia or aselgia in Greek. From the lexicon, this is behavior completely lacking in moral restraint, usually with the implication of sexual licentiousness. Licentiousness meaning license, no boundaries, no borders. You just do what you feel. Um, so we may hear about sexual orientation or marriage equality or transgenderism but these are just recent categories that seek to justify and to codify sexual perversions which have really existed throughout human history the acceptance of which has always presaged and preceded the decline and fall of great nations even entire civilizations right greece embraced this type of sensuality and sexual perversion and greece fell Rome embraced this kind of sexual perversion and sensuality, and Rome fell. The United States is embracing this very same thing. The United States will fall short of repentance. We live in a fallen world. All of us have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. We must, we must each repent and confess our sin in order to be forgiven and redeemed from the destruction that uh, our sin brings to us, and then we will be restored to a healthy and holy life. False teaching about sexual issues is the cause for many to reject repentance and continue, continue down a dark and ultimately destructive path. Some years ago, we had a young man who went to this church who had put the homosexual lifestyle behind him and was a very strong servant of the Lord. Great guy. But he started kind of drifting a little bit and started, you know, kind of seeing some signs that maybe he was moving away from the firmness of his faith. And then he posts on Facebook. He doesn't talk to me. He doesn't talk to Pastor Craig. He posts on Facebook. I'm going to go back to pursuing a homosexual lifestyle and I'm not going to give up my faith. And I said, the two are mutually exclusive. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't pursue a homosexual lifestyle. Now, that's not to say that somebody couldn't struggle with certain feelings. If you want to call that an orientation, if you want to call that a proclivity or a tendency or whatever you want to call that. But pursuing a lifestyle that is adamantly and ardently opposed by the Scripture is not right. But see, I know what happened. Behind the scenes, this fellow 
was uh, got hooked up with a ministry. In fact, it's here in downtown Garland, and you guys have been affiliated with it. And the person that is the head of that ministry has a transgender son, I believe, and told this, this person, told this young man um, that it is perfectly acceptable to be gay and to be a Christian. Again, I'm not talking about feelings, an orientation, struggles, temptation. I'm talking about pursuing a lifestyle and pursuing behavior. And as the result of that false teaching, that young man fell away from Orthodox faith. Now, I trust, I hope, I pray that the Lord will bring him back. We, uh, he was serving in this church in a position. We had to ask him to stop serving in that position. But we never kicked him out of the church or anything like that, right? Somebody struggles with a particular issue, uh, listen, we love people. I'm addressing this now. I'm going to address this again Sunday morning. We have a skit that's going to address how we need to treat people who are caught up in this particular lifestyle. But we don't tell them that it's okay. We tell them, you're okay, God loves you. But sin is never okay. Whatever that sin is, it's not okay. And the Bible hasn't changed its viewpoint on this particular issue. Satan moves people emotionally and psychologically as much as God does. That's why we need to stop trusting our feelings, right? So this is someone who goes after a particular viewpoint or lifestyle because their feelings lead them to. And these are people that are caught up in this are not terrible people by any wild stretch of the imagination, but they are allowing feelings to guide them rather than faith in the Word of God, right? Uh, verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Sadly, greed is the naked motive for many popular ministries, and this is why false prophets tell people what they want to hear. Make the people happy and get paid for doing it. This is not harmless. The me-centered preaching found in popular religion today is destructive to the hearers since it fails to inform them of their need to repent. False positive preaching will be destructive to the preacher as well. God may wait, but rest assured their judgment is coming. Ezekiel warned about what it meant to be a watchman for the people. This is from Ezekiel 3, 17 through 19. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel, so hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, then he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. Now, you and I are not Ezekiel, but we need to heed that warning. When you know the truth, you need to speak the truth. And when people need to receive a warning, then we need to be willing to be compassionate enough to deliver that warning. Now, again, not everybody is willing to receive reproof, and I'm not responsible to continue to try to convince somebody of a particular position if they're not willing to receive the reproof. And a good example of this is what I just discussed. People become so uh, enchanted and inured by the LGBT lifestyle that they don't want to hear any of this. Well, that doesn't mean that I need to stand over them and tell them that they're wrong and I'm right. They're not willing to receive that. 
then I am not responsible to continue to try to convince them. But I leave the door open and I love people. And when they're willing to listen, or perhaps they're in a less threatening situation where I'm not addressing them directly and they're just overhearing this, like online or, or whatever, then maybe they are convicted by the Spirit and they decide to make an adjustment uh, with their lives. All right, verses 4 through 9. Um, we already read all of it, but verse 9 concludes this section of verses with, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So if you belong to Jesus because of your genuine faith in him, you are in Christ, then you are righteous and are producing righteousness in your life. You will be tempted to sin, even tempted to believe lies, but that's a test. And the God of Jesus Christ knows how to rescue you out of temptation. As for those who are practicing religion with false motives and or selfish agenda, they are the unrighteous and they will be judged and punished. They will not escape. Listen to the examples that our inspired author gives leading up to the conclusion in verse 9. This is verses 5 through 8. <coughs> For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, this is the Greek word Tartarus, means the lowest region uh, of hell, if you will, and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And remember, in Noah's day, God couldn't find anyone righteous except Noah. And it doesn't even say that he spared Noah's family because they were righteous. It was just Noah was righteous. And because they were his family, they were spared. But God destroyed the entire world of that time. Verse 6, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, isn't that interesting? I just mentioned sensuality and the LGBT agenda. Why do you think Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed? Interestingly, you can read some of these books and they'll try to convince you that, oh, no, no, well, this wasn't about uh, homosexuality at all. But the reality is this was about an extreme version of sensuality to the degree, well, I'll read it in just a second rather than telling you because I, I printed out the text from Genesis 19. Um, but he reduced those cities to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, now Lot lived in Sodom. Lot was Abraham's nephew, right? And really, the only reason that Lot was delivered was because of Abraham and Abraham's faith. But here, the inspired writer uh, tells us that Lot was uh, persecuted in his righteous soul because of the behavior that he saw. If he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, there, there it clearly indicates this is about sensuality. This is not about orientation. It's not about temptation. This is about sensuality, right? Uh, the, sensuality, the sensual conduct, conduct of unprincipled men. For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. There again, uh, this, this idea of sensuality is unbridled expression of sexual desire, right? So it, it's going outside of the boundaries that God has created. Now, my intent for Sunday morning is to address the positive side of this. Uh, you know, I'm telling people to vote Biblo biblical values. Well, then let's talk about biblical values because I'm not sure that people even know what that means. So I'm going to talk about biblical family values, God's intent, 
God's plan for the family. And you're going to see that that gives us the pattern that we need to be following, not some other vision of what family is or what sexual expression is. God created the family. So I'll talk about that Sunday morning. Right. Here's that, that term I mentioned as I was reading. Uh, when it says he cast them into hell, this is Tartarus in Greek. Tartarus was thought by the Greeks to be a subterranean place lower than Hades. Hades was their idea of the realm of the dead where the unrighteous go, where divine punishment was meted out, that is given out. Uh, that's from the uh, Bauer, Danker, Art, and Gingrich lexicon. And then this is from the Strong's lexicon. The name of the subterranean region, doleful and dark, regarded by the ancient Greeks as the abode of the wicked dead, where they suffer punishment for their evil deeds. It answers to Gehenna of the Jews. That was the word that Jesus used for hell, Gehenna. So punishment is not held off until judgment day and beyond for the most wicked, which includes currently imprisoned demons. We see this in the case of Lazarus and the rich man who didn't care about the poor uh, that languished at his gate. Now, I printed the whole text here. We're running out of time, so I'm not going to read it. But you can find this text in Luke 16, 19 through 31. Lazarus was the rich man. Or excuse me, there was a rich man. Lazarus was the poor man who uh, hung out at Lazarus's gate. He had open sores on his body. The dogs licked his sores. And the rich man would come out and throw crumbs but would never help Lazarus. In the afterlife, after they both died, Lazarus goes to the bosom of Abraham, which represents comfort and God, the presence of God. And, excuse me, yes, Lazarus. And then the rich man, we don't even know his name. Uh, he's given a name Dives by some interpreters, but that's not in the scripture. But anyway, uh, it says that he is in torment. And he asks if Lazarus can go back to earth or if Lazarus can come down from where he is and dip his finger in the, the tip of, of, of his finger in water to touch his tongue because he's in agony in these flames. So he's already suffering torment even before judgment day. So be sure you and I, our sins will find us out. That's why it's important to be in Christ. And that means that we allow Christ to work through us. The examples we have of angels and the ancient world are still examples for us today. We need to pay attention to them. The angels rebelled following Lucifer and seeking worship for themselves. They became the gods of the ancient world. And I would go so far as to say these demons are the false gods of today. Listen to what Revelation 9.20 says. The rest of mankind were not killed by these plagues. And uh, this is in the midst of the trumpet judgments. There are, there are catastrophes, as I indicated to you, poured out on the earth that affect a third of the earth. Once again, as I said Sunday, the righteous, those that are in Christ, are marked and protected from the outpouring of God's wrath here. But nonetheless, one would assume that people would see all of this tragedy and this terrible outpouring of calamity and repent and turn to the Lord and ask him to help them. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. So there we have the example of Revelation 9.20 that uh, demons are still seeking worship and apparently gaining it. Um, in India, 
in Hinduism, there are 330 million different gods that are worshipped. And I can guarantee you that those are demons. 1 Corinthians 10, 19-22, No, but these sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participant, participants with demons. Now, again, I'm out of time, so I'm not going to read the entire Sodom and Gomorrah story. Um, but if you would like to read it, it's found in Genesis 19, 1 through 26, right? But at a certain point, I just want you to see how extreme this is. This isn't people that have a certain sexual orientation that are struggling with it, but they all live together in Sodom. This is a, a problem with sensuality. They're, uh, they see these angels, these angelic beings that have come to visit Lot and get Lot out of the city. And these angelic beings have come as young men. So the young men of the city gathered around Lot's door. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Okay, so th this is not normal behavior. And yet, some of the extreme behavior that we see in some of these uh, protests and gay pride parades and so forth is not terribly far away from this. I'm sure to get myself in trouble for saying all of these things. Um, verses 10 and 11. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desire and despise authority, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. So there, I think that the, the best way of looking at these false teachers and those who fall into the category that I've mentioned earlier is to look at the scripture um, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19. And I'm going to quote that as I conclude here. Um, I like the New International Version 1984 uh, edition, which is the one I memorized. It says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. See, in the end, I said this was a problem with sensuality, but let's back it up a step further. This is actually a problem with a lack of spiritual sensitivity. The spirit is dead, so I'm allowing my carnal flesh to run wild. There's no holding it back, and that's lewd, lascivious, licentious, sensuality and that's the problem i have great respect for um and empathy for people who struggle with a variety of different temptations whether it's drugs or alcohol or sex or whatever but there's a difference between struggling with something and being tested by it and being tempted by it and just living wide out right so if i am in christ then i have given myself over to him and I have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I need to leave that on the cross. And I need to live a new life. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys being here tonight. Hopefully I won't start a riot online with that.